Welcome to the Grow Podcast. I'm Christy McSweeney, and if you run a business or are thinking of taking the leap, this podcast is for you. I'll be interviewing special guests who run small businesses to large corporations. Each episode will include practical tips and advice to help your business thrive in this changing environment, relayed to you by people who have done it, are doing it, and some who have even done it multiple times. Proudly presented to you by Census, Australia's number one supporter of small and medium-sized businesses. Today, I will be chatting with Rob McAdam about cybersecurity. Rob is the Chief Executive Officer of CXO Security. He provides advice to companies on how to minimise their security risk from cyber attacks. The Australian Cyber Security Centre reports that malicious cyber activity is increasing in frequency, scale and sophistication. Phishing and spear phishing remain the most common methods used to harvest personal information or user credentials to gain access to networks or to distribute malicious content. Between July 2019 and June 2020, the Australian Cyber Security Centre received close to 60,000 cybercrime reports at an average of 164 per day, or one report every 10 minutes. In a recent survey on cybersecurity, 62% of small to medium businesses had experienced a cybersecurity incident. Almost half rated their cybersecurity understanding as average or below average and had poor cybersecurity practices. Rob, thanks so much for your time today to speak to us about this really important issue for businesses of all sizes in Australia. My pleasure. What are the most common types of cybersecurity incidents in Australia? The most common is, uh, particularly for smaller businesses, that fall for phishing. Uh, you then got uh, stolen credentials, ransomware, there's brute force attacks, and social engineering. When you think about it, there's, well, there's, there are 61% of the breaches, they're malicious or done by criminal actors. And the actual breakdown of the sector for this is health, unfortunately, is the top of the tree at 22%. You've got finance at 15 you've got education at 8%, insurance at 7 and think professional services such as legal accounting and management services at 5%. But unfortunately, the health and the finance sectors are the leading causes for data breaches, whether they're malicious or uh, criminal attackers. And of course, that is probably where companies hold people's most personal information that is dangerous to get into the hands of people who are acting with malicious intent. It is no surprise that it is health and financial data that comes under significant risk. Do you think that cybersecurity risks are underreported in Australia? We've come a long way. So I've been within this industry for over 20 years. And it's with the managed data breach notification laws that we started to actually see things being reported. The underreporting is for businesses that are under $3 million. Uh, we've dealt a lot with that. They don't have cyber insurance. Uh, it's under $3 million. So you just try and get them up and running as quickly as possible. But there's now, if it gets found out too, that if someone has had a breach and they haven't reported it, then it ends up being an offence. So there is a level of underreporting. If your business is above $3 million in turnover or you hold very important information such as tax file numbers or medical records, 
that $3 million limit or floor doesn't count. Um, if you hold those records, even if you've got a $100,000 business, guess what? You have to report. What are the major cybersecurity threats for these businesses so they can be aware of that, Rob? The, the most devastating types of attack or threats is the insider attack. So it could be a rogue employee or a trusted third party whereby they've been given access to information and because of the position that they hold, that's probably the most devastating type of attack that there is. The second one, which is very common, which leads to your phishing one, is your ignorant staff. They click on a link, they're being targeted by someone. So for example, if you're into phishing or whatever it is, the attacker will specifically craft things that is interesting to yourself being fishing, camping or, or whatever it is, is that, that's your, that's your pastime. And the third one, which is the remote hacker. So people spend most of their time on this because the remote attacker is just literally someone you don't know. It's, it's very hard to be able to, to track them down. Rob, for small to medium enterprises listening who might be thinking, how would a foreign actor or a cyber attack happen or enter my business? What is the usual pathway and which staff members are generally targeted by cyber criminals? It's overwhelmingly going to be the accounts payable people or, or someone to do with finance because they're the ones that are going to control the invoicing and they're deemed as a trusted person within the business. So make sure that those people that are doing the processing or the accounts processing are aware of phishing attacks, what they look like, how to respond within the business to be able to say that there's another one. But that accounts payable person and the, uh, the CFO are absolutely the prime targets. The Australian Cyber Security Centre, Rob, estimates that the impact of these losses relating to cybercrime in Australia is up to $300 million a year for Australian businesses. Mm. What impact on Australian businesses and through their supply chain and their customers does being the target of cybercrime, either from inside, as you're saying, or being attacked from an external actor, have on these businesses? Stress is the, is the predominant word. It's obviously emotional stress. So when there is an attack on a business, as a general rule of thumb, it's about nine months before the business, if they can recover, do recover. Because what happens is, is that you're going along your, your business in a normal way, then all of a sudden everything is turned upside down and you have to get past it. There is no way around it because your staff, your third-party suppliers are all expecting you to have acted in a way that keeps data secure. And if you haven't, it's an immediate threat to the business and many have fallen over. So we've dealt with breaches that are as small as 30K for the cost of the business to um, over $30 million. It's a critical thing that happens. At best, you'd call it a distraction, but the reality is, is, is that um, it really does set a business back, if not makes it fall over. Businesses who implement the essential eight mitigation strategies to prevent cybersecurity incidents can significantly reduce their risk of having systems compromised. Can you briefly outline what the essential eight strategies are? Sure. It came about from the federal government. When all agencies were breached, they had to report it back to a central agency. And then that central agency went and assessed what happened uh, within those breaches and how could you stop it. And they came up with 35 controls and then they put those 35 controls in place and then put 1,200 machines out on the internet and none of them got attacked. But 35 was too much for people to be able to manage. And then they ended up on the essential aid. 
And they break them up into three categories of preventing. There's preventing, there's a thing called patching your applications, configuring Microsoft macros and application whitelisting. They want you to restrict admin privileges and patch your operating system and multi-factor authentication. And for the recovery, they want you to do daily backups. In a summary, all of these are things that can be done for free. It's just that it requires a certain level of help to be able to get that done. There's some things that are done very, very simply, such as patching of your operating system. Um, That's literally like a, a Windows update. Patching of an application is updating your Microsoft Office. Most people would have backups going, but just make sure that your backups are on a different network because there have been too many breaches whereby uh, they've had a ransomware, there's been a, a breach, they've encrypted everything, and they've also encrypted the backup. So make sure your backup is on a different network than, than what your current one is. Multi-factor authentication. So what this is, is, is that people usually have a, a username and a password. That's deemed to be at a very, very basic level because so many passwords are breached and then people use the same password over and over again. So multi-factor authentication means you, you've got to have more than one factor. Um, so one factor is a password. So a second one could be a series of numbers or something else other than the password. These things are well-worn solutions. If you do have a managed environment, then uh, get them to, uh, to roll out the essential aid for you. As you said, Rob, some of these things are really easy, but some of them require a little bit of investment. That small business with all the digital compliance that they're forced to do, the upkeep with their accounting and paying staff, many of them aren't turning their attention to investing in cybersecurity. And in fact, the Australian Cyber Security Centre reports that almost half of small to medium businesses in Australia spend less than $500 a year on their cybersecurity. How expensive is it for businesses to implement those essential eight strategies that you've just taken us through? You can do this for free. And with Google searching, you can work out how to do daily backups, for example, on your machines. A lot of businesses would have a managed service that is there to be able to commission your users, take them out uh, when they leave. And getting those people to be able to harden your solution that they've given you so that there is ongoing patching, there is ongoing backups. The hardening example is a a one-time event as opposed to like backups, which happens every day. And I would expect this to be a service that would just cost a few thousand dollars a year from your managed service provider to be able to make sure that this is over and above to be able to harden the environment. So I appreciate that that's more than $500 but also by the same token, uh, a few thousand dollars in the context of a, of a business really is trivial in comparison to how it actually stops everything. Of course, and you're saying you've seen losses up to $30 million. A few thousand dollars to save yourself is not a very big amount of money for a small business to spend on. Yeah, and I've also seen directly many times that cyber insurance has actually saved the bacon of the business. The way in which these things happen is, is that um, you know, cyber insurance should cost about two, $3,000, depending on, on your environment, but uh, I've seen it as low as that and you know, sometimes it's you know, a lot more than that. What happens is if you did have a breach, it gets the lawyers involved, it gets the appropriate PR people involved if, you, if there does have to be a notification, it gets the appropriate forensic people involved and also people to be able to help harden the environment. And what that does is, is that reduces the stress in the environment because you've got competent professionals that are able to help in that particular point 
I've seen it time and time again where cyber insurance really has saved the business. It's one of those things that's not on the essential eight, but I just know that it's, that it's something that's pretty critical. On a scale of one to 10, Rob, after what you've seen in small and medium businesses in Australia, where would you put cyber insurance on you when you're ticking off your checklist of what you do when you start up a small business? It'd be at the top, particularly if the data which you're holding, if you're a data-based business, um, it has to be there. Or if you couldn't operate without that data, that's the trigger in your mind as to whether you should do something about cyber insurance, whether you basically need the data to operate or your clients are expecting that level of assurance associated with the data that you're holding on their behalf. In addition to having cybersecurity insurance and implementing the Essential Eight, what other advice would you provide to businesses to reduce their security risk? I'd want to know where my assets were. And assets, I'm thinking of assets in in a digital form. So where is my data being held and who is accessing that and who is managing that? And do they have the right skills to be able to manage that? You know, would they recognize a threat? Would they recognize a a phishing attack if we're going to take it to to the most rudimentary level? And then for all of the issues that are identified for the potential threats, and if you don't know what those threats would be, then there's a whole industry in cybersecurity that could go through that. And it's called a risk assessment. And then that risk assessment would then identify what to do to be able to reduce those risks at at an appropriate level. So you're not going to be able to get rid of all issues, but you just want to get it down to a point whereby you can live with the consequences of what you now have as as an operating principle. Rob, we've heard media reports of companies who actually pay to receive their data back after they've been the victim of a cyber attack. What are the risks of doing this? Should people pay? And what are the consequences for people to be aware of if they do? Whether they pay or not is going to end up being a business decision and it'll depend upon the circumstance. So I've been involved in circumstances where people have paid and people have not paid. For the smaller businesses where they haven't paid, it's been a case of they've asked for $100,000, a million dollars, and it's clearly way outside of their even consideration. We've had ones whereby they haven't paid and uh, they've done their best to be able to get the data back. And this is where having a copy of the data outside of the network is critically important. There is a, a current attack type which is going around at the moment. And what that is, is that they will encrypt the environment. And then within the encryption of that environment, they will then say that, okay, we have a demonstration that uh, we can prove that we can decrypt it with this small amount of, of data here to be able to prove that we're the ones that are able to solve your problem, even though we actually cause the problem in the first instance. And then if you click on that link to be able to prove that they can solve the problem, that then sets off the timer for them to be able to know that they've got a live person on the line. And that sets the timer for the, uh, for the deadline for you to be able to pay the money uh, X amount of dollars by Y amount of time. So if you ever get in that circumstance whereby it is crypto locked and uh, you then get the, the email which says, click on here to be able to prove it, don't. That's the point whereby if you haven't already, you contact your cyber insurance, you've got your professional that's dealing with this. And in this circumstance, there are businesses that actually directly negotiate with the attackers. So they all have a modus operandi, a way of doing things. They have their patterns and and you know what it is that they previously sold for if you do want to go down that path. The crazy thing is, is that this is this is actually a organized crime business. So they, ha- they have call centers for this sort of thing. 
So the risk if you do actually pay is, is that you're trusting that they're going to keep their word. So someone of ill intent that's been in the environment, you're hoping that if you do pay the money, then that's it. The downside is, is that they now know that they've got someone who will pay. So therefore, they'll just keep on tapping you on the shoulder to be able to go, okay, that was that one. Or they then hand off the details onto one of their friends, get a cut from that. It just becomes this thing whereby you have your first attack, then your second attack and your third attack. It's just an absolute nightmare. So in that example for the small business, which is really common, uh, it's a crypto locker environment, get your cyber insurance, have your data in another environment other than, for example, your home network. I think most businesses are aware that cybercrime is sophisticated, but not many people would be aware that it is that sophisticated with multiple touch points. What happens if a business doesn't have cybersecurity insurance and what should they do if they have a cybersecurity incident? Okay, if they don't have cyber insurance and there's been a breach, traditionally what people would do is they would go to their network to be able to try and find someone that they trust to be able to make sure that they can deal with the issue at hand. If you can't find someone, then it'll undoubtedly end up at either the person's lawyer and or at the police station, depending on the type of issue that it is, whether it's a civil or a criminal matter. The cyber insurance is going to cover off things that relate to the breach. So if there was any professional services that are required, such as any forensic work, any public relations work that are required, any legal fees that are associated with it, your third parties, which are also impacted by that, that's covered by the cyber insurance policy. The thing that is not covered by the policy is the remediation associated with it. So for example, if you were supposed to have a uh, firewall uh, and you didn't, it won't pay for a new firewall. So it's basically, it deals with everything related to the breach, including even if you had to pay a ransomware, everything included up to the breach and the line in the sand is remediation. It won't pay for the remediation or the update of your security. It's really important to take out cyber security insurance, isn't it? We also hear, Rob, of businesses, large and small, undertaking cyber attack simulation planning. What's your advice on that? Of course, larger businesses have a number of business units involved in this transport, logistics, public relations, IT, legal, human resources for the impact on staff, but a smaller business doesn't have that huge support team around them. How would a smaller business undertake a simulation compared to a larger business for their planning purposes? Smaller business will probably have a small IT shop that is supporting them. And then what you do is you say, okay, so if this did happen, what are we going to do about it? What, what's the circumstance and how do we actually test that as a process? What if we did you know, have a rogue employee that had access to this data? Could we actually log and, and see what that person actually did so that if we did have to go to court for it, there's our evidence? Or they could do a something as simple as a penetration test, which a penetration test is or an ethical hack. It's simulating an attacker or a hacker, but in a controlled way so that the, the end client actually controls how the attack is going to get done. And that then shows what broken business processes uh, are there. So it's a very quick and easy way to be able to show, for example, your patching is out of date or data is easily exposed to the internet. For the larger businesses, there's going to be four attack simulations whereby you go through and you're including your HR, your legal, which is going to be a primary point. Um, you've got your uh, your board members 
simulating, okay, the board members now, this is what's happening to the executives and going through. And then you'll have another party which simulates, you know, being the press, have, uh, you've got your press statements out. There's a level of graduation of maturity to be able to simulate what an attack would actually mean. And that, uh, that sophistication is based on the size of the business. And of course, significant differences between smaller private companies and those that are listed on the Australian Stock Exchange or multiple stock exchanges around the world for mm. how it affects the market in terms if they are cyber attacked. And what is the likelihood, Rob, of being under cyber attack in Australia? And what levels of business perhaps are more targeted? It's safe to assume that you are being attacked. It's a case of whether it's a successful attack. The challenge that we have within the cybersecurity industries is that businesses that have been attacked, it's usually like nine months before people know that something has actually happened. So it's kind of like you, you don't even know that you have been attacked, that someone has done something and they're lying in wait for a time that is convenient for them. It could be a slow period within their business and therefore they, they enact something. The issue is, is that the businesses don't actually know that they have been attacked and there's someone already within their system. So uh, I, I, I know I hate to be able to say that, but that's, that's, that's the findings from the, from the population. So that's why people do the example of uh, the attack simulation or the penetration testing to be able to go, all right, or threat hunting is another, another phrase that they do. They say, okay, what threats do we actually have in this environment? What could they do within this environment to be able to, to see that there's a problem? That's how the industry has dealt with it so far. Rob, many small businesses will be sitting here listening to this podcast, thinking that they are sitting on a ticking time bomb with their cybersecurity planning and resilience testing. If you are a small business listening to this thinking, I have a problem, where does somebody actually go? It used to be, who do you know? So therefore, they just went to their internal network. As the industry has matured and cyber insurance has become available, then it ends up being uh, the first protocol is the broker who then coordinates um, the incident. And then the, the next level up is this, this place called the Australian Cyber Security Centre. And what that is, it's a federal body that is coordinating all of the cybersecurity incidents across Australia. So they're actually proactively telling businesses that something has appeared on what's called the dark web or there's data which has appeared. So depending upon the level of maturity of the business or the, or the, uh, the size of the business, it's going to end up being you know, someone like uh, CXA Security or um, it'll end up being their broker who would go to their panel, of which we'd be part of that panel, through to uh, Australian Cyber Security Centre and then uh, we'd be involved in police matters as well too. So it escalates from that point. It becomes interesting in a police matter. Usually it's of a certain size for it to be of interest for the police, purely because there are just so many of these things which you said at the beginning of the, of the show. And Rob, final word of advice for business, large, small, medium? The biggest one would be, right now, would have to be multi-factor authentication. So if you're able to, because everyone has used a username and password, and that is now pretty much dead as a way to be able to think that everything is okay, the next level up, is your multi-factor authentication from a technical perspective. If you're going to go a non-technical perspective, it would be that risk assessment. That risk assessment to be able to see what are your actual assets, what are the risks that you actually have, and what can we do about it? That's a critical thing for those that need to, because there's third parties out there that need to prove their security. Things such as a certification, such as ISO 27001, 
to be able to certify the business to say that, okay, look, look, we follow certain security practices and those security practices have a certification associated with that. That's usually about a, you know, a six month process from start through to finish. That's holding many businesses in good stead to be able to, to differentiate themselves. And the last one, the federal government has an outstanding website and it's Australian Cyber Security Centre. A breach can be reported. What to do in event of a breach. It's just a, it's a phenomenal resource. So Australian Cyber Security Centre. Rob, thank you. It's been fascinating and I know that everybody who's listened will have learnt things that they didn't know. Thank you so much for chatting to me today. Pleasure. Absolute pleasure, Christy. Thanks. Thanks for listening to The Grow Podcast. For future episodes, be sure to subscribe. This podcast is proudly brought to you by Census, Australia's number one supporter of small and medium-sized businesses.